just want to pick up on where Sam left us off with seeking the Lord and what pleases his heart. And I would just like us to just pause for a moment, quieten our hearts and just say, Lord, I want to respond to you during this time of the sharing of the word that I might respond to you, not to a person speaking, not to the different points being made, but I want to respond to your heart. I want to respond to your voice. So can we do that together? Can we just bow our heads just in your own way, in your own language, just pray quietly and just present yourself to the Lord. Thank you, Lord, for this moment in your presence. Lord, I thank you for the gathered church here today. We ask, O oh Lord, that you would feed us from heaven. Lord, you have the words of life, so we come to you. We do not rely on our own understanding, but in all our ways we acknowledge you, especially in this moment. And we ask, O oh Holy Spirit, that you would come and reveal to us the things that have been freely given to us by God. That we might walk in your ways. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. That is just a good way for you to start. Anytime you open your Bible, anytime you approach the Word of God, it is important that you position yourself as someone who says, I'm ready to be taught. Um, not as someone who's coming to the Word, as someone who's saying, let me see how I can add to what I have. How many of you sometimes fall into that? Because I do. Okay, There is a tendency I have when I open the Scriptures to sometimes say, oh yeah, I, I know that part, that part, and that part, and this is the part I didn't know. And there is that sense of acquiring more that tends to put us in a place of, I just need a few more notches on that belt of, I got that belt of truth, right? I just need a couple more holes in there to, yeah, I got that. It's all nicely fastened. No. I come as someone who is a starter every single time because the Holy Spirit has so many things to show us in something that we would have read maybe even 500 times. Um, John 3.16 can mean something totally new, not because you're trying to interpret new things into it, but because Holy Spirit shows you the depths of God's love in the word that he has written. All right, that's an aside. So now as we start, in this Cornerstone series, we've been going through some foundations of our faith. And one would argue, right, that's for all the new people. Nope. It's for us old people, new people, in-between people, all the people. Okay? Why? Because you cannot build on a foundation other than the one that is already laid, which is Jesus Christ. And this seems to be something that needs to be reiterated, not because by extension we are a church, so it is based on Jesus Christ, but deliberately we bring it back to the foundation of Jesus Christ. Lest we get carried away with our, I need to add a little bit more to my knowledge kind of thing. The thing I was just mentioning. We get into that place very quickly where you feel like, I just need 
to address this part of my faith while he's working somewhere down here. But you're like, no, no, I, I know that. This is what I need to be working on. And he, God will take us back. He says, you're building on something that is trying to build off of the flesh. Build off your own achievement. Build off your own understanding. So the cornerstone is always going to be a relevant thing, regardless of how long you've been a Christian. So we dealt with the fact that you must be born again. You cannot, the, the human body, the human mind cannot inherit the things of God. You must be born again. This puzzled the guy called Nicodemus. He was a teacher. He was a really well-read, well-accomplished in all of the Judean kingdom. He was known for his understanding of the scriptures. This guy is talking to Jesus and Jesus tells him, you must be born again. And he was totally confused. Are you saying I need to go back into my mother, come out again? Like what? He started like... He was like, this, this is too crazy. But he says, no, you must be born of the Spirit of God. You were born by your mother. You have a birthday. But there is a part of you that has been dead, that was separated from God. Your spirit, if you were here last week, we did, we did this. You are spirit, soul, and body, and all of you needs to be saved. But our spirits were dead in our trespasses and sins. And Ephesians 2 covers that. But while we were dead, He made us alive through Christ. What does that mean? You were born again. That's what that word means. It doesn't mean like you're, it's not some evangelical term that America made relevant. This is a Bible word. Okay? So it's got nothing to do with the denomination. It has to do with a reality of what God is doing in you. You were dead in your sins. You were dead without hope, without connection to God. You were designed for connection and fellowship with God. And that was separated. And God says, I've made you alive. Suddenly that connection has been remade. Now, you're a new creation. 2 Corinthians 5, 16 and 17 says, The old has gone, the new has come. So now I'm a new person. But this guy, my soul, my thinking my emotions, my feelings, all of these things are still stuck with the trauma of the experiences I've faced, but also the things that I'm living and processing right now. I'm working through so many things, and it's hard. Life is hard. How many of you think life is easy? Okay, good. Okay, so life is hard, and we have to figure out how do I make walking in a world that is so anti-God because I've been open, my eyes have been open to see that God matters and God has plans for my life. That's step one. But now how does that jive with the world I'm living in? I need my mind renewed. This is what Romans chapter 12 verses 2 and 3 tells us. Because our minds are so caught in our experience and what I've faced. And my past always tries to define where I'm going. And God says, no, you've been made new. But I don't feel new. I don't look new. My body over here is being beaten up every single day. There is sickness around me. There's frailty around me. There are things that I am so caught by 
which my body needs. Have you ever heard that? My body needs this. It comes from deep chemicals, imbalances, other things. All of these things, roll it all together. This is the state of humanity. But you have been connected to God. So now the God wants to teach and save every single part of you. There's not a part of you that he wants to leave untouched. So when you see in scripture, you will see three tenses. Okay? To do with your salvation. This sometimes confuses people, but when you see it this way, you will understand it. In Christ, you have been saved. This is a done deal. This is not a work that needs to be perfected, have to be added to. This is done. You're a new creation in Christ. But as you are being sanctified, you are being saved. He, he perfects forever those who are being saved. He's the one who is changing the way you think, the way you feel, the way you go through things. He's changing that step by step. As you submit to God, that is something that changes day by day. So don't get disheartened that you're in this part. Because that's happening. It's an everyday thing. As you yield to God. This body of ours will be saved. Have you, have you seen that in scripture? You will start to see places where it says, there is coming a salvation. The salvation which is preserved for you, that is kept for you. What is that talking about? The resurrection from the dead. So there is coming a salvation that we will not see just yet. You and I are still in these bodies, right? There's coming a time where sickness will not have any hold on any one of us. Not even try to come at us. Because we will have a renewed body. In the meantime, I dedicate my life. The now. the the, So Galatians 2.20 says, The life that I now live in this body, I dedicate for this one purpose. I lived... For the one who died for me and gave, him, gave himself up. So I live my life in such a way that dedicates every single part of me. My soul, my body, and my spirit. That's being built up into a mature person. So my spirit then becomes who runs my life. Small s spirit. Not the capital S spirit which is the Holy Spirit of God. Your Spirit within you is connected to the Holy Spirit who says, now let me teach you. And the Holy Spirit then says, now let us teach your soul to say no to ungodliness. This is a work of grace. In your Bibles, you will start to see the word grace show up a lot. What is this word grace? It is the working of His Holy Spirit giving you power to do things that in your body and in your own strength you are struggling. And you're like, I cannot do this. Romans 7 tells us, who is going to save me from this body of sin? The things that I want to do, I don't do. But the things that I don't want to do, I end up doing that stuff. Wretched man that I am, who's going to save me? And Romans 8 kicks in and says, but thanks be to God. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Here's the in part. Those who are in Christ Jesus have been set free from the law of sin and death. That so easily bound all of humanity into this futile existence of saying, oh, 
But you know what? My body wants what it wants. I'm just a boy. Boys will, have you heard these phrases? Boys will be boys. That is a lie from the pit of hell. Why? Because we are teaching our generations to say, you're stuck in this existence. You got to just do what feels right. Have you heard that? Follow your truth. None of those things are valid because you are going by a system that says God does not have an equation here. God does not fit into this equation. But the moment you are alive to the things of God, suddenly my eyes start to get open to let no foul or polluting talk come out of your mouth. Only that which builds up. This is Ephesians 4.29. That gives grace to your hearers for the moment. How many of us, I will put mine up, has polluting talk come out of my mouth? Okay, that is a part that needs to being saved. Because there is something in here that is affected by what I see. And I'm like, and it just comes out. Okay, there's a teaching problem. There's an address. There's a discipline problem. Now, does that mean me having perfect language makes me a better Christian? Because I am in Christ, so there is no condemnation. However, as someone who is in Christ, I present myself in view of His mercy. So I will not be conformed to the patterns of this world, but I will be transformed by the renewing of this mind. Slowly, I will start to ascertain and I would be able to test and know God's will, His perfect good, good and pleasing will. So that's Romans 12 verses 1 to 3. You start to see that as you work with the Scripture, it is not a rule-keeping that saves you. It is the Spirit of God that transforms you. No amount of rule-keeping helped anybody. Ask the nation of Israel. Ask the people who are God's chosen people. They tried and failed and tried again and failed again. And then Jesus was manifest and he says, come to me, all of you who are weary and heavy laden. This is a weight on you and you're not able to bear it up. Come to me, I will give you rest. So I don't know how many of you are in this place. The reason why I wanted to go through that is because it's essential that you understand your salvation is an ongoing work. Jesus is not going to die on the cross more for the sin you had yesterday. That's a finished work. Have you heard that phrase? The cross is a finished work. Done. What is happening is the application of that work. So right now in my soul, in my thinking, I'm being changed. My body, oh, I need this. I'm a guy. You know, men need this sort of thing. Or women, oh, we need this. Guess what? Stop defining yourself by your gender. Stop defining yourself by your nationality, your culture. Oh, we're American. I don't care. You belong to Christ. Do you understand? When you start to identify as, I am in Christ. I'm a new creation. I, I will not give myself just a pass. 
Oh, I'm just human. That's how the bad language. Oh, I'm trying to do better. I don't care if you're trying to do better. Who do you call yourself? That is more important. If you identify with the work of Christ, that changes everything about who you are. Being a man, being a woman, being a mom, being an American, being Indian or being whatever it is. Oh, you know us Italians. I don't care your Italian heritage in this context. Have you noticed every culture has a peculiar... Um, no, they, they all seem to have an ownership of a certain kind of anger. Oh, it's an Irish temper. Or it's German frustration or... Italian, whatever. I'm like, basically, a cop-out for brokenness. Are you in Christ or are you in the world? And this is the stuff I'm talking about in the church we hear. I'm not talking about anyone who's just walking on the street. These are things we hear in the church. Why? Because we would much rather give an accommodation to the flesh. So when I use the word flesh, I don't want you to just think body. I want you to think this way of thinking, which is covered by the world. This way of being and living that is covered by this world system. So whenever the Bible talks about the flesh, that's what it's talking about. This infected way of saying, we are, we are doomed to this. This is who we are. We are only human. Now I can get to my message. John chapter 14, verse 26. It says this, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. All that I have said to you. Every single thing that Jesus said, He wasn't counting on you figuring it out. He wasn't counting on you being the A student. He says, everything that I have said, I will send the Holy Spirit. The Father will send the Holy Spirit in my name and He will bring to your remembrance. He will teach you to remember these things. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 12, it says, Now we have received not a spirit of the world. Remember? The spirit of the world, which we call the flesh. But a spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given to us by God. Do you think that God is putting his finger on the scales here? He totally is. He's like, I am not even going to try leaving it to you to see if, let me see how you figure this out. He's like, I'm going to give you the help. I'll give you the code book. I'll give, not only that, I'll give you all the answers to the test too. Every single thing that you would have to face in life, but also the blessing and the promises that he was going to give you. He says, everything the Holy Spirit will disclose to you. It's not something you're going to have to figure out. And this is preserved for children of God. 
Not for people who sign up for Christianity. Not for card-carrying members of the church. It is for the children of God. The Bible uses the language, the sons of God. This is a very peculiar phrase. And it's not just sons and daughters of God. Because it's in the context of inheritance from the time it was written. So it is not just generically children of God. It's specifically saying you are someone who has, by right, all that this parent owned. Everything. The inheritance is entirely yours. You're the inheriting child. And in their system, it was the firstborn son. So when he's calling you specifically a child of God, he's calling you, which is why totally confused people in his time period. I want you to imagine this for a second. Because some of us will get offended by the language that God used only the word son of God. Not children of God or sons and daughters of God. Imagine in that context, he's saying each one of you, including the women and the children... Anyone who puts their faith in Jesus Christ has a full inheritance as a son. Excuse me, that is reserved for the special, the, the, the firstborn, and it has to be the male. And he says, no, all of them get it. Can you understand that for a second? Just pause and think like someone in that context. You who are never given a second look, why? Because you were born second. Why? Because you were born a girl. Why? Because you came from a wrong kind of family. Why? Because your parents didn't have enough. These were things that you were trapped in regardless of what you did in life. And God says, I've given you everything I have. Wow. So Galatians 4 Four to nine now should make a little bit more sense to you. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were caught under it. To redeem every single person who was caught under the law. So that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father! We get to address him. We get to call out to him. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved by those who are by nature not God. But now that you have come to know God, or rather, be known by God... How can you turn your back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of this world? I'm Italian. I'm, I've got Irish. How can you tie yourself back to that junk? I nearly slipped there for a second. <laughs> Why do you want to go and enslave yourself once more? Huh? 
Do you realize what it means to be called an heir of God? And we will trade it for what? I'm American. I come from Western PA, so we do this this way here. I'm a mom, I know. You want to settle for your momness? Because you know your child? Guess who fashioned your child? And guess who you belong to? Oh, I'm a man. I work a hard day's work. And guess what? You're not the one who provides for your family. All of these these stereotypes that we buy into because we are living in a culture that tells us this is who you are. These elementary principles and we, and we build our lives on these things like as if it's going to save us. Romans 6 verse 4 tells us this. You were buried therefore by baptism into his death. In order just as Christ was raised from the dead By the glory of the Father, we too might walk in a newness of life. You were called to walk a new way. You were not called to be a Christianized person who lives in Western PA. I'm just like the rest of them. I just happen to go to church. Uh Uh-uh. That's not true. You might encounter the same things or similar things that the people in Western PA do. But don't for a second kid yourself that you're just like them. Because there is this sense of we are all the same that tends to permeate our culture. We're not all the same. How many of you have heard we are all children of God? We're not all children of God. Scary thought. Why am I saying that? Is that? Am I saying that because I'm judging somebody out of being a child of God? Absolutely not. This is a gift for everyone. It's for anyone who believes in His name. To them, He gave the right to be called children of God. And such you are. But don't for a second mishmash the two where you start to get one world system and then try and say, but we're the same and it's it's not all the same. You've been pulled out of darkness and been put into a new kingdom where your spirit is alive to God. As much as I love a lot of my friends in the world, they are dead in their trespasses and sins. Because they have not received this free gift. So what? I make every effort, as long as it is still today, to make an appeal to them. Be reconciled to God. Be reconciled to God. Because the time is short. And I don't want to kid you, thinking you're a child of God, I'm a child of God. And it's this sort of, we're all buddy-buddy, we'll all get there in the end. We won't. And is this a free gift for everybody? By golly, it is. So why are we kidding ourselves and not saying the the silent part out loud? 
We would much rather have an okay conversation with a friend who is an unbeliever than go through the awkwardness of saying, you are not joined to Christ. You must be born again. Because it's so awkward. Because it suddenly separates me from them. And the separation from them affects me more than being separated from God in that moment. So I would much rather do this little balancing act. Do you, do you understand where we're... The, the, these are real issues. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not saying it's an easy one, okay? I'm not for a second trying to say this is an easy conversation to have. And you need the Holy Spirit to show you how to be a gracious listener and how to hold fast to the word of truth in these times. Because we have dear people, people I love deeply, people within my own family who do not follow Jesus Christ. Your blood. Your blood to me. But I'm covered by a new blood. I still remember my dad teaching on this one time in our family, because in an Indian family system, these are very deep things. Family is everything. Ask Italians or, you know, like the different cultures have this family. It's almost like you join the mob, kind of thing. You are family. And in India, it's a very big thing. So to go against family is a big, big step. And he would say, some random person at church was more family to him just simply to get under their skin sometimes. But it was a valid point. This person stays with me forever. You, as long as I'm living, we're family. It's a scary thought. But we identify with the body of Christ. I'm no longer who I was. Everything that is my history doesn't define me. I'm not going to ignore it. It's part of who I am. But it's everything that I am has been brought and placed at the foot of the cross. Luke 9, verse 23 and 24. So if anyone's going to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. It's like a simple equation. Jesus draws it out. When you lose it, you gain life. If you try and gain life, you lose it. Which one do you want? A life of knowing God or a life of achieving everything you could be by yourself? And that's a decision you have to make. So, in Ezekiel chapter 36 and verse 26, this time I'm going to get the verse out. It says, and I will give you a new heart, and I will put a new spirit in you. And I will put within you this new spirit. Do you see that? Is this something that you're doing? Are you involved in this? Okay. And I will remove the heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh, a heart that is soft. It's not an icy, cold heart to the things of God. It's a heart that beats and receives 
I don't think Sam knew anything about what I was teaching today. But this is the crux of what I'm sharing with you today. God has given you a heart that delights in Him. And your response is one of, Lord, I love you. Teach my heart to love what you love. Put it simply, delight is one of those things that finds out what the other person loves. That's how delight works. There is a joy in just seeing them enjoy. My joy is seeing you enjoy. Just looking at you, just being with you. To delight in God. So to have the Holy Spirit who is given to us as a gift, it's not a work that you are trying to manufacture, but He has already given you that heart of flesh. So my response is, Lord, here's my heart. I want to delight in you. And I want to just, I've been thinking through this. It's more significant because we are, in, we are in a series discussing the cornerstone and what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. And this is that critical point that I want you to understand. This is going to be something you have to highlight for yourself. Walking in the pathway is not as significant as walking with him on the pathway. Let me say that again. Walking the pathway is not as significant as you walking with him on the pathway. There is no point you doing the things of God if he was not with you in the process. We would much rather follow rules that tell us what the pathway is than have him show us. It's almost like an adolescent kind of a impudence that we have. Like, yeah, 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 I know. I have this thing right now with, because I have sons who are now getting into that stage. And I often, I will just say, I will stop the conversation and say, so tell me what you know. You just said I know. Go ahead. I, uh, the, the, I was like, you said you know. So tell me what you know. And I would not do it in a demeaning way. So what I've done is now I'm starting to learn, like as we hit those critical knowledge points, where that sense of, I'm going to kick out ahead of you because I think I can get there before you. That's what it says. Yeah, whatever knowledge you're about to share with me, I don't need it because I already know how to get there. It's part of their development. But I want to see how far you think this will go. So explain to me how this works. And when I hear it, to say, this is where your knowledge ends. And this is what I was going to share with you. But if I don't teach you to pause, what you will end up doing is saying, I know, and carrying on. And my frustration of you saying you know, will be like, yeah, go ahead. 
I only have a short window of time where I get to speak into that. Think about the walk that we have with God. There are days that we start, yeah, I, oh, man, my today, today really was bad. I, I forgot my Bible reading. You think that's what messed up your day? Your Bible reading? I didn't, I didn't pray in the morning. You know, that's, that's, you know, usually when I pray, that's what... Did you think that that discipline is what kept your day sane? Is it part of it? Yeah. Is it part of the pathway? Yes. But don't ever kid yourself that walking in the pathway is the same as walking with Him. That is what we need to get after. Is delighting in His presence with me is the bigger part of the journey. It's not the journey by itself. Has anyone gone on a long trip and then discovered Man, even though I really like solo trips, I really wish there was someone to share it with. And God's saying, this is what started in the Garden of Eden. God would walk with them. He would take evening walks with them and talk to them about the things that he would do. And I, even though it's not in the text, so this is just my inference. I bet God even took time to listen to what they were seeing in creation and what they were, what did they name today? What was the things that they saw? There was an equation that they had which was constant fellowship with God, which was broken when they chose to listen to somebody else. We emphasize, and this is something that's coming up in our teaching is when we emphasize living by the word of God and forget the word of God has God behind it. We get so caught up with the... So what, what was that again? Point number one? Tell me point number one again. You're like, just look up for a second and realize I'm talking to you. Put it in the context of parenting. When I'm explaining something to my children and saying, these are things, these are chores that we need to get done today. Okay, okay, so tell me which one's mine. No, this is what our family's getting after today. This is what we are about. But they want to just get down to the, yeah, 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 I, I get that. Just tell me what my role is. Do you see your heart becoming like that? Yeah, yeah, just, 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 just tell me and I will walk that way. No, I want to be there with you. I, wanna, I want you to do this with me and then you will do this after me and then your brother will help with this. And They don't want the story. I just, just, give me the, just give me the facts. Just give me quick. There isn't a delight in the relationship. So for every Bible scholar, an amazing teacher of the Bible that we have, we have one little old lady or some little kid somewhere in some small town who's changing heaven and earth simply because they know God. Not because they understand lots of things.
Jeremiah chapter 9, verse 24. And this is God speaking. I want you to understand this. This isn't just somebody saying this is what God is like. This is God himself speaking. But let him who boasts, boast in this. That he understands and knows me. That I'm the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. And what do some of our people run away with? Okay, what was point number one? Uh, Love, justice, righteousness in the earth. Okay, so those are the things God delights in. Let me go ahead and try and love people, do justice on the earth, and work works of righteousness. See, because that's what God delights in. And there we have our three-point list. And we will go away. I found the path. He's like, do you understand or know me? In that, in loving people, in doing the works of justice, in living a life of righteousness before man, are you with me in it or are you trying to go ahead and do it? Because, yeah, yeah, I know, I know now, I know. I know how love works. I know how justice works. I know how to solve all the race relations problems in our country today. See, I know. Jeremiah 9.24. Got it. You don't know the first thing. Sorry if I'm breaking it to you. but You don't know the first thing about solving the things of this earth. When you delight in the Lord, however you will start to find the things that he delights in start to flow out of you. Not because you're trying. Not because you're like, I'm going to be a world changer. No. It's simply because you're walking with him. So when you look at someone like David, who was a king in the Old Testament, he was known for being A crazy kind of guy. But he was someone who loved God. He messed up in epic proportion. Not minor things. Would you and I, like if he was part of our church, we would have fired him a long time ago and never had him enter into a role of ministry ever. Ever. And this is a guy whom God says, that's a man after my own heart. Take it up with God. Because you and I wouldn't pick him. Why? Because there was something about the heart of David that went back to God in brokenness when he broke the law of God in his heart. Aside from the law that he broke on the outside. He went back to the Lord and says, Lord, create in me a clean heart. Renew a right spirit within me. Fast forward to the new covenant that we have in Jesus. He says, I have put a new spirit within you. I've given you a heart of flesh to know me, to perceive, to understand my ways. 
we have something David did not. Psalm 51 was him praying what was going to come. He desires truth in our inner parts. Psalm 51 verse 6 says this, right? You desire truth in my inner being. Not just that I can parade it in front of people like I know the word of God. He says, but inside. Teach me there. Teach me, teach me truth in the secret heart. Not the heart that everyone gets to see. Teach me truth there. And that's what the Holy Spirit does for us. Put it in the context of family. And this is where we're going to be going next week. The word of God is life. But never confuse the word of God for being the rules about God. When God has spoken, He did it in relationship. It's always connected to relationship. It's not a static book. The book was a postscript. I want you to put yourself in ancient Jewish context. Most learning, most teaching was oral. How do you share things orally and at the same time say, I know the law of God in my heart? Because they rehearsed it constantly when they were together. They did not have their own pocket edition of the Bible. For the first century Christians, there was no Bible. So when you and I post enlightenment, being 1500s, post that generation, when we start to think, oh, it was Reformed theology that... Reformed theology won't change you. Knowing God will. They did not have sola scriptura either. They had a message about the cross. And it was a simple message that they put their faith in. And then came the written word that informed and says, these are the things God has spoken. Now it is not a crutch, but it is life to me. Do you understand? Where the word of God in written form becomes a life-giving tool that says, I, I can go and approach God. And, and I don't have to try and say, do I remember what he said at the Passover? It's written down for your, it's written down for your benefit. I don't have to remember what was the second commandment. It's written down for your benefit. So you and I in the 21st century... The laziness that we have got to is crazy. We have it all there sitting in front of us and we refuse to come to Him. But rather we would say, show me the point one, two, and three and I'll do that. We will fill church pews on Sundays, write blogs on these things, fill podcasts with this stuff, but refuse to go to him who has the words of life. And this is all the same people who say we follow a living Savior. 
We're about to celebrate Easter and all of that kind of stuff. If this Savior is alive, where is he? Where is he? I see a lot of rule keeping. I see a lot of people saying you got to go to church on Sunday. For what? That's what the world's asking. For, for what? So I can learn your rules? Uh-uh. We're talking about a relationship with a God who says, I've come for you. I've come to transform every single way you live. So am I going to be teaching you from the written word of God? You bet I am. But not because this book is going to change you suddenly. But because when you know God, he says, this book suddenly becomes a life-giving source for you. And then every day you say, I must know what his word says. It's a delight of your heart. Now let me read Psalm 119. And verse 32. Psalm 119 verse 32 says this. I will run in the way of your commandments when you enlarge my heart. Teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes and I will keep it to the end. Give me understanding that I may keep your law and observe it with my whole heart. Lead me in the path of your commandments, for I delight in it. Do you see someone trying to be a rule keeper or someone who actually loves listening to the one who's saying it? Do you see this, the difference? And I constantly have to walk through this with my kids. Your love for me will always precede your obedience. If your obedience precedes your love for me, then I am, I am basically a taskmaster who you have to earn love from. There is a reward. Did you? Did, uh, uh, no? Okay, you don't get my love today. And that's the kind of relationship many of us have with our parents. It's a reward-based love. Because obedience precedes love. Whereas when love precedes obedience, where the heart about it is brought into question first. Do you love me? Feed my sheep. Do you love me? And Jesus is always concerned with the fundamental question, do you love me? Then do the things that I'm saying. Everybody reads John chapter 14 and 15 thinking it's about doing the things that Jesus said. If that's what you get out of it, you're missing the point. John chapter 14 and 15 talks about abiding in Him. When you abide in my love, when you rest there, this is, you don't have to wake up tomorrow morning and earn it. You are loved regardless of where you find yourself. Now from that place, you've heard me say something. Do what I just said. Uh, do you know I love you? Do you love me? It seems like an odd question to ask my kids, but I often ask them that question. Do you love me? Because they're mad at me in that moment, right? Because I did not do whatever they wanted to do in that moment the way they wanted to do it. 
And it's often something that just upsets the apple cart just for a brief second enough for them to realize your love for me doesn't change if I don't get this thing. And what you're calling me to understand is that I actually have a place of love for you. And now I want to invite you into that. And that is what God constantly calls us to. Now, do I do that perfectly? Absolutely not. There are most, most days <laughs> I'm struggling with getting past the I don't want to do it part. And the, because I told you so ends up becoming the operating principle. And that's not helpful from a discipleship standpoint. Because that uh, commanding, like anyone who's been in any kind of leadership role or any kind of work situation, when you have a boss that commands you to do things and tells you to do things because I said so, a controlling boss or a commanding boss, stuff gets done. You will get a compliant workforce. Or they leave, right? They either comply or they leave. That's compliance. Whereas someone who works on the basis of trust, it's more expensive. In a compliance role, there is no trust in this organization or in this team. You just do it because he said so or she said so. That's a compliance atmosphere. Whereas over here, building trust takes time. Sharing your heart takes time. It's, it's so, I mean, I'm telling you, as a leader, especially in the context, when you invite people into a conversation where everyone has five opinions about the one thing you said, it's exhausting to invite people into conversation. You would much rather be able to say, I said we're doing this, let's go. To invite people into a conversation about, I want to get after the heart of what, what you were going through. Trust takes time. But guess what? It breeds commitment. So when we're dealing with Christian discipleship, most churches are like, how do we get the quick turnaround? Because our church don't pray well. Our church don't read their Bible well. God said read His Word. You better be reading His Word every day. Oh yeah, oh quick. I'm doing a Bible reading plan one year, quickly. And what do you do? You get a compliant church that will immediately start reading the Bible. Do they trust this God? No. Why? Because you made me read the Bible. I don't like reading the Bible. Whereas when I work on your heart, it takes time. Like the conversation I have to have. Did you brush your teeth? Seriously, you're going to go to school and you didn't brush your teeth? You start to find out I'm a pain in your butt because this is good for you. It's not, I'm not trying to brush your teeth for me. So when I tell you as a father, go brush your teeth, this is not a chore. This is for your benefit. So when I say read the word, you start to find, oh, this is for me. Oh, he loves me. Oh, and that, that sometimes takes time. But Jesus is committed to the process and he sent his Holy Spirit. And Holy Spirit is such a patient teacher. He will not overcook it because you had a tantrum. But he will come back to the same thing. And when trust is formed, 
That is what he's after. Love blossoms. Suddenly, I love what God does. Suddenly, my delight becomes his delight. Or rather, his delight becomes mine. And then I find myself working out love, justice, righteousness. These are no longer Christian catchphrases. These are no longer conservative ideas. These are ideas that start to come out of me because I walk with him. And I love him. I'm part of his family. Just to hone in on that, my littlest girl, she's, almost, she's four and a half right now. When she joined the Thomas family, nobody gave her the Thomas book. The book of Thomas. Read up. You better know how this family works, kid. She learns it in family. You learn how to respond to things as a Thomas. As a child of God, you are taught the word of God. Not by reading just a book. But the book being lived out in one another. So next week, what we're going to see is discipleship is worked out in community. It's not in isolation. You never get to take the book and say, well, this is what it says and this is what it means for me. What has this meant through the ages? How has this been applied? God shows you in people who excel in some of these things. What does it mean to walk by faith? What does it mean to abound in every good work? What does it mean to be generous, to be lavish with the things I have? Or does it mean increasing my tithe check? Don't try and make things up just because. Watch. You learn from one another and you start to see the word of God comes alive. But where does it start? A heart that says, I delight in you. When I delight in God, suddenly his words become honey to me. uh, Proverbs 4.23 Keep your heart with all vigilance for from it flow the springs of life. Don't for a second trade knowing God for living the pathway of God without Him. Jeremiah 15 verse 16 says this I found your word and I ate it your words became a joy and the delight of my heart for I'm called by your name O Lord God of hosts if I as a pastor of this church am to teach you to love God's word I have to teach you to love him first because if you don't love him and you don't love being a part of the family, what ends up happening is you end up being a kid that says, just tell me the rules and I'll sit at the table. What are my chores? I'll do my chores. Is it my turn to do the dishwasher? I guess it's my turn, so I'll do it. But when I'm part of the family and I realize God has called me into a relationship with Him and the people in the family, I start to see... Are my siblings always right? Nope. Do they get everything perfect? Nope. But I get to see the word of God alive in them. In different facets. Do they excel in some things and horrible at other things? Possible. 
But the church was never meant to be this one one-stop shop that fixes everything and you only hear the pastor preach. The word of God is living and active. It is able to separate all the things right down to the intents of your heart. That's Hebrews 4 verse 12. For you to understand that when God's word comes in, it's not some prescription that's being thrown at you. It is life coming to you and saying, come. It's an invitation to know God. Can we just bow our heads? Father, we thank you that your word is living and that you have come to dwell among us. We thank you for Holy Spirit, who is our teacher. Lord, and I ask that as we go through this week, you will draw our hearts to delight in you. Lord, that our affections would be towards you. Help us, Lord, to, to respond to your love with a heart of, of love and gratitude. Lord, that we would be taught to walk in your way because you are there. Because you want to lead us every single step. That we would not lean on our own understanding, but in all our ways, that we would acknowledge you and that you will make our path straight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.